You're listening to DraftKings Network. This is Ian Joy, and you're listening to The Cooligans. Yeah, baby, the cool again. We are here. Oh, yeah. And uh, we were talking about another interview. And uh, we thought, you know what? We've talked to some uh, modern-day writers. We've talked to some modern-day uh, players. Uh, but why don't we talk to someone who was there when this all sort of kicked off? Uh, for as long as I can remember, for as long as I've been an, uh, a fan of the U.S. men's national team, they've always qualified for the World Cup. Yeah, in my, uh, you know, when I started paying attention to soccer, the U.S. team, it was always important to qualify in the World Cup and to do well. So, you know, in the early aughts, it was really when I started paying attention, you know, probably after like FIFA started coming out on PlayStation 2. That, right. That's like when it's expected. Started. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's the standard. Yeah, of course. We're, we're America. We should be in the World Cup. But we have on the phone uh, a former national team uh, uh, goalkeeper. Uh, and, and he was there when we first qualified since the 1950s, which is so hard to imagine now. Ladies and gentlemen, unless you're driving, put your hands together for Jeff Dubach, everybody. Hey, how's it going? Hey, there he is. <laughs> yeah, I think Jeff was waiting for the applause. Yeah, you were waiting for the applause. <laughs> well, Jeff, why don't you kind of give us an idea of what it was like? Because you just heard what we said, which is, you know, it's expected that the U.S. qualifies. Your experience growing up was yeah. very, very, drastically different. We're just a bunch of dumb millennials who don't know anything that happened before 19, like, 99. Yeah, well, there, there you go. And you're, you're, of course, dating me horrifically. There wasn't even video games back then uh, when we were playing. and um, Just sticks in those wheels, right, that you would kick around? Yeah, exactly. Um, An abacus. We, that was the most we fun were, toy. Yeah, and we, and we often played in stadiums that we had just about the same amount of applause that I just heard right there when we were playing. So. Hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah th- th- that's, was, that's like most of our comedy shows, so don't, uh, yeah, don't feel bad. <laughs> don't feel left out? All right, that makes me feel better. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was an interesting time, and, and um, you know, as I look back and reflect on that, you, you realize that, that that group of guys starting in about 1985, 1986 – um, we were really the, the the building blocks to where the federation and, and soccer in the U.S. Uh, uh, is today, especially on the international level. Um, I was actually uh, started with the U.S. youth national team um, playing in the Youth World Cup in 83 in Mexico. We had a, a pretty strong team. About half the players that were there ended up being the, the nucleus of the team, uh, the teams in through the uh, – 80, uh, 86 to the 1990 World Cup. And um, it, it was interesting because the the U.S. had a, a horrific Olympics in 84. Uh, that's when the uh, FIFA and the International Olympic Committee decided to allow U.S. Uh, or professional players to participate in the Olympics. And they, of course, have changed the rules uh, just about every four years about who who is eligible to play in the Olympics. But that was the first time that they um, made that announcement. And there was a group of, uh, again, that same sort of nucleus of players that had been in 1983, 1984, had been practicing together, getting ready for the uh, 84 Olympics. Of course, that was in the U.S., so we automatically qualified to participate. And uh, the that, day before, that's always great when we it's just by default we're in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's exactly right. That's the easiest way to qualify. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so we um, 
we were all uh, at uh, breakfast the the morning, uh, the day before they had to put the roster in for the for the '84 Olympics, and um, had heard about the announcement about the professional players, and were all released. Uh, and they kept, I think, Ricky Davis and a um, couple of other players, but everybody else basically was told to pack up and go home. And so this is post uh, NASL days, right? Say that again. This is post NASL days. Yes, this is right after the NASL folded, or just about the same time that the NASL folded. So they brought in professionals. They were all MISL guys, indoor indoor players, and um, that didn't fare very well uh, for the U.S. They they were in and out in three games. I think we lost to uh, Saudi Arabia or somebody who we shouldn't have, you know. Shouldn't have been much of a contest at all. Shortly after that, in 1985, uh, England came over to play a friendly. Uh, uh, and again, you guys won't remember this because it was probably before you were born. Um, it was a friendly out in L.A. Uh, we got uh, absolutely annihilated 5-0. It was, it was almost hilarious. Fortunately, I was not on the team at that time. It was, again, the same kind of players. And that was really when the Federation, I think, looked in the mirror and said, OK, we got to change the way we're doing things. And, and that's when they put back the team that, that was there before the 84 Olympics. It included uh, Tab Ramos, um, John Harks, John Doyle, Trichu, uh, Windishman, uh, Bruce Murray, you know, the guys that, that kind of were the, the, the team that, that got us qualified for, for the 90 World Cup. I remember, uh, give us one second, we're just... Can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? I can hear you, yes. Okay, cool. All right. I think that fixed our mics a little bit. Yeah, I remember uh, we're going to cut in uh, three, two. Yeah, I remember you were talking about Ricky Davis. I remember uh, reading about how he refused to play for Team America, which was that team uh, in the NASL. I guess mm-hmm. they had put in a team of just the national team players. Uh, but he was with, if I'm not mistaken, the Tampa Bay Rowdies, which you ended up playing for, correct? That's right. Yep. Yeah. For a short for a short period, uh, and again, that was after the NASL. That was, I think, they were part of. Uh, oh, I don't even know what the. I mean, there were so many acronyms back then. It was like every year there <laughs> yeah. was new league starting and, and finishing. But um, yeah. Well, what, one thing I'm uh, curious about was like I, I remember uh, listening to an interview with uh, Ernie Ernie Stewart, and this was you know probably in the '90s. But what was like the the I don't know the climate of soccer as far as like. Uh, the, what was the support like? Because I remember he, he told a story about the the national team practicing practicing at one point in Central Park and nobody knew who they were, uh, <laughs> which is pretty, pretty fascinating. So what what was it uh, like at the time? Uh, it was it it, it was um, yeah. I mean here's here's how you can you can wrap it up in a in a in a quick comment. We we when we were with the team practicing and playing, we made four dollars a day. Wow. Uh, it was basically a per diem. There was no such thing as a game bonus or a win bonus or I mean, a start but bonus. It, but, but in the 80s, that was probably like two grand, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's certainly uh, more than comics get now, by the way. That is surreal. But what did it mean uh, for you guys to qualify for the World Cup? Uh, you know, now it seems like it's, it's you know, hell and high water. There's pitchforks and, and uh, yes. if they don't do it. But when you guys did it, it must have 
massive. I mean, I know a lot of people probably didn't really care about the sport of soccer. Was it was it a big deal just for you guys? Did other people start to get involved? Did you start to see what we see now, which is this soccer is being, you know, a really prominent starting to become a much more prominent sport in the U.S.? Yeah, we didn't we didn't really feel that during that time. I mean, we we had very little uh, press. There was, um, I would say, I mean, they tried to to play our games in stadiums that would be friendly to the U.S. Uh, in St. Louis. I mean, they they stayed away from the southern cities. Um, but no matter where we played or who we played against. 90% of the crowd was voting for the other team. So, you know, if we were playing Honduras, it uh, didn't matter if we were in, you know, Minnesota or California or St. Louis or wherever else, Philadelphia. Um, it was a predominantly um, uh, away a crowd uh, support. And uh, so we always felt like we were on the road no matter where we were. Um, it was, I have to say, it was a fantastic experience. Uh, they did cover all of our expenses, so although we didn't make any money. We weren't, you know, having to shell money out. And, um, you know, overall, it was it was great. But there was no, you know, we could be playing a, a qualifying match uh, for the World Cup and there was no newspaper coverage. There was no pregame interviews. There was no, you know, press swarming around the hotel trying to get you uh, in front of the mic. And, um and that was just the way it was at that time. That it's it's kind of fascinating, especially now, because that's it's you know it's not that way at all. You know, like thinking about it when I when I even read about uh, American soccer from anything about you know from like the sixties to the nineties, mm-hmm. uh, it it almost seems like there there was like I, I, basically the question I'm about to ask like why do you think that was because it almost seems to me it, it seemed like an active conspiracy to suppress this sport from from the, you know the, yeah, the other like top mean. the other like top sports were maybe uh, uh trying to make sure that that you know globalization didn't occur in america and and soccer wasn't like introduced as as a, a popular dominant sport yeah I, I don't know i mean i think that that's how it felt for sure you know they had you had your four majors uh hockey or baseball football uh, basketball hockey and um, soccer was, you know, the girly sport that nobody really cared about at that time. But I think the reality was, you, you know, and you look back, if you if you can find uh, somebody who's got the eight uh, track video of a game, uh, uh, you would you would you know, it wasn't that entertaining. We were not playing very high quality soccer. Um, uh, people ask me all the time, you know, you see the guys playing today and you know, what do you think? And I'm, it's like, you know, they're, it, they would have, the teams today would have beaten us by 10 goals and they're just so much better than we were back then. Um, you know, we had some talent and skill, but it was mostly just hard work and, and sweat and determination that, that got us wins versus, uh, any particular, you know, high, high level of, of skill or ability to be players or anything else. So, you know, it was, um, and it just wasn't that, you know, we were, I think in the second generation of, uh, soccer players coming out of the seventies that, that they kept saying, you know, you're, you know, when you grow up and then your kids are going to play, that's, you know, that's when soccer is going to be 
big. And I think we've gone through about 10 of those. Uh, <laughs> Tell me about it. Discussions. We're waiting for our great grandchildren to like <laughs> carry the torch. Can someone care about this sport besides <laughs> us? You know, um, I guess my question is for you. You see now what, what's happening to the uh, national team and, you know, how successful it seems like it is. And it seems like it's, it's you know, growing by leaps and bounds. But maybe that promise is getting closer and closer to happening. How far away do you think we are from being a true soccer powerhouse on the national scale? You know, I'm still I'm still frustrated by, you know, when I watch the US team play, you know, it's 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 relatively um predictable. Uh we we don't, you know, we're still playing sort of a very straightforward type of game. We we have obviously we have guys especially up front that can that can create a lot more um danger and and are a little bit more creative, but you know, you look at the teams that are um, you know, internationally uh, throughout Europe, and you know, depending on on who's who seems to be putting a good side together in South America, uh, there's just so much creativity happening, and there's um, just it, it's a different level still than what I'm seeing. Our, you know, what our guys are doing, and you know, I felt that you know personally uh, when we before a lot of the guys were coming out of Major League Soccer, where we had most of the team coming out of um, professional clubs in Europe. I think we had a you know it was a little bit we were playing at a little bit higher level and and um you know it just it seems a little inconsistent right now um when when will we put uh you know when will we get to the semifinals of a world cup i think uh maybe eight years from now uh just it's tough to say we keep it's the same thing right we keep saying the next generation will be the ones that really break through so well, when you see someone like uh, Christian, Pul- uh, Christian Pulisic, who, you know, at, at 17 years old, making the national yeah. team, uh, does that give you some sense of uh, optimism? It, it really does. And, and it and it and it, to, you know, I think and again, I haven't been following it that closely, but I think he's going to be playing in Germany if I'm if I'm correct there in the Bundesliga. Yeah, so yeah, he is. He's, uh, he's at Dortmund. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So, you know that's what we we need more of those guys we need like five more uh teenagers who are at that level and are able to play um over in in the top leagues in europe and that's not saying anything negative about major league soccer it's just still not at that level of you know what they how they have to perform in europe on a daily basis in the you know the Bundesliga. You've coached, um, and you're you're known as a as a really good uh, goalkeeping coach. Uh, just from what you've seen, is if there's one thing we can change about how we develop players in this country, because we uh, Christian and I talk a lot about that in on this podcast. What about is there one thing you think, just one thing that you think would make a a, a strong uh, difference in in how we develop players in this country that would help us get to that level? Um. You know, I think our, our I think we're moving in the right direction with the with the academy programs and, and you know the federation is getting more involved now with the player development where they really stayed away from it. And um you know, I, I still feel there's a restriction on on players' growth here in the in the US for whatever reason, you know, whether it be the club or the academy, they're more interested in keeping the players uh, to themselves rather than and letting them go out and explore. And you know, even at a at a at a younger level, 
Um, and I'm on the, you know, obviously I'm on the side of supplying the market with, with soccer equipment now. So I talk to a lot of academies and I, and I'm talking to, to really, really good coaches who may not be necessarily tied into one club and they're, they're offering a service, uh, you know, with soccer education and, and clubs are actually telling their players, don't go to that guy because, you know, we want you to stay with us. We want your money coming into our pockets, not going to someone else. And it's it's just almost, you know, ass backwards in regards to the player development. And, and you know, I'm probably not enough involved to really to really understand everything that's going on there. But, um, you know, it's there's not a straight line of development in Europe. If you're a good player at 14, 15, you're on a professional, you know, you're in a professional club system and it's a very straight path of, of moving up the scale. And here in the States, it's, you know, first of all, it's economic based. If you don't have money to play, you can't play. And uh, or at least you don't get those opportunities that the players that do. And, um, you know, the best op- the best players don't always rise to the top here. It's interesting because it almost sounds like um uh, like the the healthcare argument, you know, like <laughs> you know, like where yeah. it's, where it's so disjointed. All the insurance companies are just really trying to get your money. Just like come come here. This is what you know. Uh, uh, and there there isn't a single payer, a single federation, or you know, one, a, a good uh, uh, system that can go uh, take you from uh, you know just a, a prospect point A to point B. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, that, that's the thing we talk, we've talked about a lot on the podcast where it, it, it especially about in, in America, it seems to exactly what you just said about if you don't have the money, you can't play. And it, it seems uh, like we're competitively, we're always going to suffer because everyone is sort of looking out for their economic interest before mm-hmm. the, the strength of, yeah. of, of the player. And you mentioned yeah. you were now sort of more in the, in the, in the, I guess in the distributor for clothing now, uh, mm-hmm. for sporting clothing. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Humble because uh, they're back in the U.S. I remember some, uh, one of the first, uh, like I'm really into like, uh, you know, older, like throwback uh, shirts, uh, yep. soccer shirts. And uh, I see a lot of the Real Madrid Hummel kits. I think that's yes. the first one. But my other experience with Hummels, I recently purchased uh, the uh, Sasulo kit. Uh, I'm getting remarried in Vegas, and it's a tuxedo, so I'm going to be wearing that. And it's even <laughs> fantastic. It's, it's even got Trust the. Me, uh, I've judged them constantly for this. Yes. This is ridiculous. Well, you know, because my wife, she's she's a photographer. She's kind of very artistic, but you know, she's like, I, I don't want to make this into a big deal. I just want to go out there and have fun. And she's like, you know, why don't you wear something that you know represents you? And I was like, I'm a huge mm-hmm. soccer fan. I love soccer kits. You know, for a big guy, maybe I have too many of them. Which, I, if I could say anything humble, could you bring a real double XL, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> I bought I bought this one from England from uh, from England and it's I didn't know double XL in Europe is XL here I found yeah. that out the hard way by wearing a leotard that looks like a tuxedo but um, you know it's just kind of cool that you guys are doing and you guys are doing some really fancy stuff but you're back in the U S and I was not aware of that why don't you tell us a little bit about that yeah so I mean I had the you know I've been since since my retirement you know again before before cell phones existed. Um, I was fortunate enough to get into the into the sporting goods soccer side of, of business, and um, uh, about two years ago, had the opportunity to um, visit with Hummel in Denmark and and get to know the company better. and And I was just really blown away by the culture of of what they're trying to do. and It's and it's interesting because it's in a lot of ways it's completely counter to what you see the other big brands, uh, Nike, Adidas, Under Armour where it's all about, you know, who's the best, the biggest, the strongest, you know, win at all costs mentality. And, 
you know, being a Danish company, they're, they're very focused on the social welfare of mankind uh, throughout the world. And, and that's the culture of their company isn't let's go sign the big clubs. Um, you know, it's probably a battle we couldn't win with Nike anyway, but, um, you know, we, we tend to, to spend a lot of our energy and time um, on the promotional side, you know, trying to help people around the world and, and make better lives for people. And that tuxedo jersey you're speaking about, you know, it's a, there's actually an interesting story behind that. That's a third division Spanish team that uh, is in a is in a mining a mining village in in Spain and they were trying to raise money for local miners who I guess they'd had some sort of a mining accident or something and so we produced that jersey for them as a as a promotion and uh, it got an incredible amount of negative press for people the ugliest jersey ever blah 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 but then when they heard the story about how this club was trying to raise money for the local families who were suffering then all of a sudden it was on CNN and BBC <laughs> and all the major things, you know, and it became a huge success. Uh, I think they ended up doing over five or 10,000 jerseys or something crazy. That's yeah. incredible. That's, well, that's how the internet is. They want to hate you before you, and then they, they find oh, yeah. out the story. They're like, oh, okay, I'm a horrible person. I, <laughs> yeah, right. I, I prejudged. <laughs> Maybe I should retweet this four times now. Yeah. Uh, well, I love it. I think it's great. And I, you know, I looked up the uh, the club because you know I'm 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 a fan of, of La Liga, but I had never heard of them. Uh, and yep. I, and I, I got to read this story, which is really cool. So I'm really happy that I'm I'm helping give money to that to that uh, thing. There by you looking, go. By looking like uh, you know sausage uh, <laughs> at, my, at my remarriage. Um, but uh, so you guys are trying to get into sort of much more of a lower level because you know here, unfortunately, because the MLS is a single entity, that means that they're all tied to Adidas. No, the clubs can't go on get individual um, that's right uh, shirt contracts so what is your what is Hummel's hope here in the US is it to make more of uh, niche product that I guess is more casual wear or is it really to try to get involved in more of a youth level yeah I mean we're our, our main focus is the team is that is the club the youth the youth market here and you know yes Adidas and Nike you know kind of at the top end with the national team in major league soccer they've got their claws you know deep into those organizations and there's not anything we could do uh, about that and and the dollars that are spent for those sponsorships are, are you know out of reach for us even if those were to come of, to become available but you know what we find is a couple of things there's there's a tremendous amount of brand fatigue uh, among the youth clubs, you know, you go to a tournament with, you know, 200 teams and when 180 of them are all wearing exactly the same uniform, you, you kind of lose your, your identity as a, as an individual club or a team. And so we're finding a lot of success with clubs and teams that are sick of the Adidas and Nike story. And, and they're, they're not only are they really, um, interested in our kind of unique and iconic Chevron, uh, that goes with the Hummel logo, um, but they love the story, the, the 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 humanitarian side of the company, and and it's surprising to me, really. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I, the, my world consisted of me, myself, and my and my little you know neighborhood, and and I wasn't too bothered about what was happening outside of that. And you know, kids today are really aware of the you know global warming and terrorism, and you know social media has really opened their eyes to the world and. So when we can come in and have an authentic story about how Hummel cares about people more than it does about its own bottom line, that that really resonates. So we're finding a, a lot of success with those clubs that that want a unique a unique identity and they want to be 
uh, part of something, you know, bigger than their little neighborhood soccer program. Well, one thing we were also curious about, uh, uh, speaking of big stories, the, the, Af- the Afghani national team, the women's uh, yes. national team, you, you guys uh, created the kits for them. And it, it was a big story because it, it had like a head wrap. I had the, the, the hijab, hijab, the hijab, the hijab yeah. uh, uh, built into the kit. And what, so what was, uh, you know what, what? What was the significance of that? What did that mean? How did that? How, how did that? And come also, together? are you planning on letting the Irish men's national team use that for the Qatar World Cup so they don't explode <laughs> while they're playing the game in that direct sunlight? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. I honestly think you're going to have to give that to the Irish team <laughs> if they qualify. Yeah, I mean, it was you know that was the, the, there was a lot of news uh, about that um, introduction of that uniform this year. Uh, we had it was actually right before the coaches convention in January, so uh, I must have done twenty five different interviews with all sorts of different news. You know, and it was really focusing on more about the the hijab being in as part of the kit versus, and it was an optional thing. Not all the, not all the women were forced to wear that. It was a, an underlayer that, that they could use. But that story is, you know, it goes, it goes back actually six or seven years. Um, there was a, 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 a gal and I'm forgetting her name now who reached out to Hummel and, and actually said, you know, look, I would love to start a woman's, program here i love to play soccer my but you can't do it because of the taliban and the restrictions and everything else and um and this is a perfect example of the humanitarian side of the brand where uh, we said look we'll sponsor the uh, national team at at that point it was just the woman we do both the men and the woman now and and uh, the sponsorship, of course, included the kit and everything else, but it also included uh, security because these women that were playing for the team had daily death threats against them for trying to play soccer. And and so we we had to uh, basically get a bus with armed security to pick these women up from <clears throat> you know, the major city and and uh, Kabul, I think, and and bring them into training and protect them, and then get them back home where they weren't, you know, in danger of losing their life for trying to play soccer. And, and in fact, you say you, you you nutmeg one boy, and all of a sudden the Taliban goes crazy. Everything goes nuts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And it also kick puts, the ball puts in, and duck. <laughs> puts into perspective the uh, you know maybe possibly complaining when I was a kid about no one caring about soccer. I would rather no one care than people with guns uh, who want to kill me care. So that's right. a really great story but, but that you guys it, were able to help. It is uh, important because you know it, it and you know it, it really suggests a lot about how soccer can change. Uh, society and and culture and this is and and they these are brave women for even participating in something 100%. like that. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah. you guys are clearly doing a lot of things, and and you clearly have uh, you know sort of a mark on on wanting to help. Uh, and, and if you've ever wanted to help uh, two poor comedians who have a podcast uh, do the Cooligans jersey, feel free to <laughs> reach out. We don't need armed guards, uh, but we may need you to stitch two smalls together, maybe uh, for me. Uh, keep that in mind. Uh, yeah. And I know we're going through your uh, your marketing team there. We're going to have a giveaway that we're doing. Uh, we're really excited about it. So all the Cooligans fans are going to get a chance to check out uh, the Hummel jersey. And I can tell you that Excellent. It's, it's very comfortable, whether uh, whether it fits perfectly or maybe even just a little too tight. It actually fits really. It's a very comfortable feel, and it's a good, like, very athletic feel of a kit. So we're really excited. Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. We know you have a lot on your plate, but we're really happy to get a chance to talk to a uh, you know former skipper of our, or a former national team member and uh, you know someone who was capped with our national team. And uh, and now you know, you're doing such amazing things for, uh, you know, for society and everything else. That's really cool. 
No, thank thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. So again, um, if you want to check it out, um, you I know you guys are Hummel USA on Instagram, and the website is uh, Hummel.net. Hummel.net, and that's two M's, uh, which stands for Bumblebee, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. German for Bumblebee. There you go. Thank you so much, Jeff. Jeff, thank, thank you. you. Take thank you all. All right, bye. Have a good one. Bye. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Alexis Guerrero. So I'm one of the Cooligans, and I just want to talk to you guys real quick about On the Volley Apparel. Really cool clothing brand based out of uh, Southern California. They're LA Galaxy fans, but do not hold it against them. Right now, I'm wearing the most comfortable hoodie, and I'm not making that up. The most comfortable pullover hoodie I've ever owned, and it's got the Wu-Tang logo on the front with a soccer pitch inside of it. If you go to our uh, Instagram, you're going to see some of the photos of it. It's absolutely some of the coolest stuff uh, I've ever had. I want you guys to go check them out on Instagram at on the volley apparel o-n-t-h-e-v-o-l-l-e-y apparel is a-p-p-a-r-e-l check them out their website is va football club va football club.com check them out absolutely awesome clothing such cool style buy some of that stuff really support them because these guys are doing a great job producing some really really awesome stuff and we absolutely love all of their stuff and i think you guys are really going to love it too again check out that that wu-tang uh they even have that in a t-shirt so i know it's starting to be summer it's going to get nice and hot buy yourself a dope t-shirt um i wore it on stage the other day and people kept asking me where i got it it's pretty dope i think everyone's gonna love it i think you will too check them out on the volley apparel yeah thank you so much for listening to that interview it was great yeah jeff yeah <laughs> yeah that's it good dude you're talking strictly to jeff here or you're just referencing his name no we're on a first name basis now you guys that's it i forgot <laughs> yeah, we became best friends off air uh we high five which is hard to do considering he's in boston and we're in new york uh it was awesome man he uh you know i think uh we we kind of um you know he touched him he touched on uh some of the things uh that you know mls does um that uh, he thinks he can improve or he thinks what should be improved and uh you know some of the players playing in europe i think the only thing i might disagree with him is that it, that is starting to change, you know? But I, you know, you can't argue with a guy like Christian Pulisic. You know, you see how uh, how incredible yeah, his development is. I I I enjoy talking to him a lot, mostly because like I love uh, he just hearing about the past. Even when like when I talk to my parents about what they were like when they were kids or whatever, right. uh, it's just it's just uh, you know getting that perspective that we you know we weren't. So around to to see right. is fascinating. I could have talked to him for like two hours. He's he's yeah, great. Four dollars a day. Four dollars a day. Yeah. I mean, why even pay him at that point? <laughs> it's <know>? more <laughs> insulting to pay. Yeah, him. I got to be honest. You know, <laughs> it's like yeah, it's, it's like tipping five percent at a restaurant. Like you're making a bigger statement. But it really says so much about the the uh, just the the American. Uh, interest in soccer, and not even just the American interest, but the the commitment to the sport. Right. Where, where, like, you, when I think $4 a day, I think, like, oh, yeah, in 1890, you probably, yeah, $4. Oh my God, yeah. It went a long way. That yeah, was a, it's the Depression, baby, 1920. A, <laughs> yeah. That was a good salary for, you know, for a soccer player in America. That wasn't bad. <laughs> uh, but to hear in the, in the 80s, a $4 a day, and the truth is, I they had qualified. Get a, you, a bagel? Uh, how much were yeah, bagels in yeah. the 80s? <laughs> $3.99. I mean, you know, you, you you look at look at the fact that they didn't qualify, but they were the first ones to qualify, and we've qualified ever since then. Yeah, and uh, you know, it, it, we're 
I guess locally a powerhouse, you know, in this hemisphere, not even in this hemisphere, sorry, in this, in this continent, we're a powerhouse. Mm-hmm. We're one of two. Uh, and, you know, hopefully that can continue to carry. And, I, you know, I think he's, I think he was, he was a bit more positive. I think he said he saw the signs. You know, Jeff can see the signs of, of, of sort of development. And, you know, he's saying that today's players would run amok over the players back then, which I think is, you know, without question. And, you know, yeah. the academies are helping. And that, hopefully... It, my favorite part about that is that is, uh, you know, it's good to see that humility, right? Because a lot of times, right. like players in the past, are like, <laughs> I mean, obviously, I'm not saying like like Jordan or whatever, like, but the, even like the older players, like, uh, uh, like I, I would say that uh, LeBron would dominate Jordan if they were playing, you know, at their both peaks. You think so? I think so. Right. But a lot of times, players in the past don't have that humility. It's like, no, the. You know, the 93, 94 Bulls would be, you know, uh, uh, Golden yeah. State Warriors today. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah. Like, you know, people saying like, uh, oh, if DiMaggio was here, he would have hit 100 in a row. Yeah. And it's like, no, he wouldn't have. <laughs> no, you know, the pitchers he, are better. Like, yeah, the pitchers are way better. They, <laughs> they're not they're not guys that are out drinking so whiskey 24 hours a day. It, it's good to see that just yeah. from a, a former player to be like, no, they would have they would have beaten us. They're so much better. Than right. Us. And, you know, you, you have to take someone like him and you have to you have to, you know, take a look at uh, sort of his perspective and say, like, like, okay, he's speaking from, no, 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 I've seen them play, you know, and he does some coaching and stuff so that, you know, he's seeing the next generation. And I think his positivity, eight years, I think that's less than a lot of other people would say. So Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. Jeff with us. That, Dubak, was a, guys. Yeah, that was uh, great. That was great. Thank Hopefully you, so you guys much. enjoyed that. We certainly did. And, uh, you know, if you guys are involved in youth soccer and, and you're looking for jerseys, you know, I can imagine what he's 180 out of the 200 teams show up with the same kit. That's got to be kind of annoying. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. There's a lot of like, yo, why are you buying my stuff? Well, Damn, dog. son. <laughs> you even tying your laces like I do. It's like, you mean like tied? Yeah, like tied. <laughs> That's uh, our thing. Come on, man. We've been doing that. We've been doing that since like at least 2006. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, give Hummel a shout. I mean, they are comfortable, you know. Uh, if yeah. you have any kids on your team that are double XL, one, get get them to a doctor. But uh, and you, two, don't get them a jersey. But, from but you're starting to see that in just in, in fashion in general, where the like uh, you know uh, Jeff mentioned uh, brand fatigue. Yeah, because like you know this is why those boutique shops like uh, uh, Supreme. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know the like, and those are even large. I mean, even like real like actual boutiques. Like, exactly. Undefeated. You know, a store a store like in Williamsburg that has like seven shirts in it. Yeah, and they're like four hundred dollars each. Who's buying that? People are, you know, because they don't want to walk around with the same thing. Everything everyone exactly, else has, exactly. Yeah, so that's why we wear soccer jerseys because we're the only ones. Yeah, unique. We we stay unique. That's right. <laughs> uh, all right. I mean, I, I'm not going to wear a tuxedo soccer jersey. I'm not. I'm not that. That's unique. only because you don't care about a mining town in Spain, <laughs> Polanco. A, I'm a horrible human being. Terrible. <laughs> you were watching that movie with the Chilean miners. Like, leave them in. Leave there. them in. There. <laughs> <laughs> you, you and the wife whose mistress also showed up. The, the, remember that? That was the best part of that. Did you hear that? I do. I yeah. remember that. Yeah. That where his wife and mistress were like. They both showed up both to like cry up. by like the the mine. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah, you know, you know, the guy's like, don't don't let me go up there. Just uh, don't get us. Uh, But listen, that was a great interview. And uh, yeah, I mean, we want to bring you guys more interviews like this. So if you heard the advertisement, get on that Patreon, please. Yeah, support uh, support us. If you're into this podcast, look, we we do this for zero money. You're listening to a free podcast. One dollar a month will not. Won't kill you. It's you won't even gonna, know. You won't even see that money. You, you don't, don't even. Know. You probably lose more than that in change. Exactly. 
So stop doing that and put it towards the cool again. Um, uh, I mean, sincerely, it would be it would help us greatly if uh, you know enough people support us. We can, uh, we, you know, we just had that Jack Harrison event. We could do plan more. Oh, we things. got some more stuff lined up. We, we can just do so many more cool things. We can bring you some really awesome stuff. And it's all again. We're not trying to you know pay our rent here. We're trying to give you guys more content. Yeah. I mean, look, if you guys want to pay our rent, go for it. I mean, no one's going to say suggest that we're not going to take that. But all of the money that comes from this Patreon is going to go towards more and better content so uh yeah help us out i mean you already heard an advertisement we don't have to double down on that but yeah, yeah but just uh venmo me if you want to pay my rent yeah yeah, yeah not exactly. on patreon just venmo me directly yeah no no <laughs> put it in the patreon and we'll put a little bit of it towards the uh the rent all right guys that was an awesome episode of the cool against jeff fun i had a great time you know i wonder what they call us oh they call us the, the cool again